Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Horn Call podcast. My name is James Bolden. I'm the publications editor for the International Horn Society, and I'll be your host. Today's episode features a really brilliant young uh, horn player named Isaac Sia. He is uh, originally from Australia and uh, now resides in uh, the UK, where he uh, has worked with a number of period instrument and um, modern instrument orchestras. And uh, I first came across Isaac's work through his Instagram. So uh, it's his handle is uh, naturally Isaac on Instagram, and be sure to give him a follow. He's just got some really uh, outstanding videos of him uh, performing uh, all all manner of things on the natural horn, particularly the uh, the works of Galay. It's just outstanding. Uh, he is a uh, former student of uh, Annika, Annika Scott, another brilliant uh, natural horn player from the United Kingdom. If you were um, uh, in Kingsville for the recent 54th International Horn Symposium, you got to hear Annika's playing, and it's just uh, it's just out of this world. And so is Isaac's. Uh, in our conversation today, we talk about how he uh, got from Australia to the UK, what it's been like studying. Um, music and valved and natural horn in both places, um, musical life in London, some of the work he did with uh, Don Green studying some performance psychology. Uh, it's just a really interesting conversation, and uh, I think you're really going to love it. So just sit back, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Isaac Sia. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, it's it's great to see you and great to talk to you and uh, appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to uh, to chat with me today. Oh, no worries. It's not that busy. So, <laughs> so is has your school, I, I, you know, in the United States, our ter- our school terms tend to be, you know, August through December, then a break for the holidays, then January through May. But uh, where, where are you in, in the, the sort of school calendar in the UK right now? I mean, it's confusing because like, at the moment I'm doing a PhD, so I'm not even aware of like when term, well, I, I'm aware of when term finishes, but like term starting, it's like, I think it's now, but I'm not quite sure. But usually it's about, I think, mid-September to, I think, start of December. Okay, okay. And then we come back, I think, start of January till kind of Easter. So I think usually like last week of uh, March, I think. Okay. Okay. And then we've got um, third semester, which is, I think, usually end of April till, that's a very good question. I think end of June or start of <laughs> July. <laughs> so are you are you all finished with the coursework and exams and that sort of thing? You're basically to the, the research phase now? Um, well, I mean, with, like, with the PhD requirement at Academy, it's quite different. So um, I don't do any recitals. I don't do any kind of, you know, exams so to uh-huh. speak. But um, for me, what I've got is that the first two years, um, I'm kind of a probation uh, PhD student. Okay. I'm technically on the MPhil course. And then um, I've got a transfer, which um, basically upgrades my degree, um, which is quite flexible because um, I saw an email just like, oh, like we can do it. You know, you can submit everything by the end of this month, which is May. Um, and then we can do like the Viva, I think in July or like you can do it over like the summer or like after the summer holiday. So yeah, I, I don't, I haven't quite figured out what, what I'm doing, going to do yet. 
<laughs> well, I, I remember when I was in uh, in graduate school, there was a group of us horn students, and we all kind of were our own support group. We would, you know, if if there were questions that we couldn't get answered by someone in in a position of authority, we would kind of, you know, we'd get together and kind of talk things over and say, well, I, I guess we'll do it this way and see what happens. And you know, someone would try it, and if it if it went well, they'd come back and report and say, okay, that worked out, or they say, don't do it, don't do it this way. Do you have? Are, are there other you know PhD students in your, if not horn players, but others in the program that you can you know kind of share things with um so as far as i'm aware i'm the only brass player um oh, wow. currently doing um the doctoral program um there are two others in my year um they're both singers i'm really good friends with both of them actually so but um i don't know like we tend not to talk about it <laughs> i'm just really bad with communication usually so i'm just kind of like and i know like one of them especially like she's really organized so like sometimes if i'm like you know, I need a lot of help or like, just like, is this right? <laughs> so I'll send her a message just like, and she's like, yeah, that's fine. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I remember those days very well. <laughs> so yeah. uh, so backing up a little bit, Isaac, uh, so you came to the UK by way of uh, Australia, right? So you, you yeah. got your, your edu musical education started out in Australia. Talk to us a little bit about that and then how you ended up uh, where you are right now pursuing graduate study and a PhD in, uh, in Horn uh, in the UK. I mean, it's all quite complicated. So, um, I think it might be worth actually going back to the very start. So, yeah, yeah. I started um, the horn when I was living in Hong Kong. Okay. Um, and I, how old was I? Seven. Um, and like in my primary school, there was like this like really fancy band uniform. Uh huh. And and I just wanted to wear it. Like that's sure. it. Yeah. Um. Didn't didn't know what a horn was and like all these things. And then the teacher said, like, "Oh yeah, like you know, apparently my physique is suited to play the horn, whatever that means." Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. <laughs> no idea what that means. Um, yeah. yeah so, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Sure. Um. Yeah. So they gave me a horn and then couldn't make a sound for the first um first month. And they're just like, maybe this is not meant to be. Um. But somehow I kind of got there in the end. Um. Kind of figured it out myself. But I had really a kind of like dysfunctional technique. Mm. Um, that somehow I sound fine, but then, like, I think I didn't know how to articulate for ah. like the first three years, and I was doing everything by breath attacks. Oh my goodness! Which I mean, in hindsight, incredible, but also like because I now like I know how to use like kind of support really well, right? right. <laughs> because of that, so like, I was just like, hmm, you know, not the worst thing to have come out of that, but, um, you know, like a lot of these things just kind of like happened. And then um, my family decided to move. Um, well, they were thinking about moving back to New Zealand, um, but then they're just like, there are more opportunities in Australia. So we moved to Australia. Um, so, yeah, so I started studying um, the horn with a teacher um, called um, Spiros Casares, okay. which I don't think a lot of people will know of him. Um, but yeah, so from that point on, I just kind of like, got interested in the instrument um, and I just kind of progressed. Um, but by the age of 15, um, I did, I don't know if there's like an American equivalent of this, um, but it's called the Associate in Music Australia. So it's kind of like a diploma of some sort. I see. Okay. Yeah. Which I've, it used to be kind of like good enough to be a university or like the equivalent of a university degree. But obviously with academic inflation now, like, and Amos is like something like you might expect a 10 year old kid to get now on the violin or something like that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, um, like <laughs> I don't know if there's an equivalent to that in our system. I think a lot of, a lot of folks that come up through, 
I mean, string players are different because string players start so early. Yeah. I mean, I just saw uh, the Chicago Symphony just hired a 22-year-old violist, you know, and, and <laughs> it, it, I mean, they, they start so early, some of the string players. And so th I think that's sort of a different track. But like for brass playing, I mean, really, you can't start studying seriously until you are you know, 12 or 13, I would think. Some people start in like, you know, primary school, like maybe 10, 11, but probably not much earlier than that. And then, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to think about pursuing it in college, you get serious uh, between the ages of probably 15 and 18. Um, oh. So. That's quite interesting because that's something I've noticed with um, the UK, actually, mm. um, that people are starting to go to junior conservatoire at a much younger age. And they've got kind of like really formal training. Um, by the time they go to start their bachelors. I see. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you're aware of, um, there's a horn player at Academy, actually. She's in her second year um, called Anne-Marie Federal. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I mean, she's playing with like LSO, um, being a soloist with LPO already at the age of 19. But so for her, she started studying with one of the horn professors at Academy at the age mm -hmm. of 14. Right. So I think you kind of, I, I don't know, I think it's different for different countries. But certainly in the UK, I feel um, kids start a little bit younger. Yeah. Well, and there's so much going on in London. I mean, just in terms of the number of orchestras, you know, modern and historical. I mean, it's there's, you know, there's a few places like that in the United States, you know, Los Angeles, New yeah. York City. But I mean, the majority of the United States is, you know, we're between the coasts. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's not really a centralized place. Although I will say... Um, there's a big uh, a big market for private instructors that aren't necessarily associated with an academy or a school per se, oh, but they, okay. they teach privately, particularly in like Dallas, Texas. Um, yep. You know, you can teach 30 or 40 students per week there and make basically a full-time salary simply teaching private <sighs> lessons. And that, that's one of the few places in the United States where you can, where you can do that. And it's, it's, it's kind of phenomenal. That's probably the closest thing to the sort of pre-college academy type training. Now, now I will say, you know, Juilliard has a pre-college program yeah. and, you know, I think Peabody Conservatory, some of those places, but those are uh, primarily in, in highly populated areas. So, you know, if you live in a rural area outside of a city that, you know, the closest big city might be two, three hours by car, yeah. there's not, there's not really many options for that other than you know, studying privately with the local university teacher or something. So, oh, right, that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and you know, that's always. I, I have friends that live in the UK, and it's interesting. You know, they can hop on a train and basically be anywhere they want uh, within a few hours. You know, yeah. And, and, and the United States is we're so spread out. It's uh, you know, it's a function of a lot of different things. But uh, I think we value our space more than other countries uh, do, <laughs> for for better or worse. I mean, it certainly has its disadvantages <laughs> in that you know we have to to get in a car and drive somewhere if we want to go go do anything. So that's really quite interesting. And so you 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 did some professional playing in Australia before you moved to the UK. Yes, but um, I think that's an interesting thing because like the aim is actually. Um, when I got it, I started getting a lot of severe performance anxiety okay. to the point that I actually gave up playing the horn. And well, what, I certainly didn't What practice. age were you? What age were I, you? I, I was 15, and then 15, I, okay. I only picked it up before I started entering into conserva uh, conservatoire. I see. Um, okay. At age 17. Okay. Um, which is quite young, actually, to be fair. But yeah, so I think at that point, because I, I wanted to do composition, but the first year is a general degree. 
Uh-huh. So I needed to audition on the horn anyway. Right, right. Um, and I think at that point, my horn teacher and also the brass department, they were quite keen for me to actually get back playing again. Mm-hmm. So um, they, they got me to work with Don Green. Which, okay. Yeah. Um, and then from then on, I just kind of decided to do performance. Oh, my God. So he was, was he living in Australia at that point? Or did he, was he, you know, doing a visiting thing? Yeah, it was a visiting thing. So I think they flew him over um, just to work with a bunch of students. And then um, I had like kind of, um, I think back then Zoom wasn't a thing. So I think it was like on Skype. Must have been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, I had some Skype se- um, sessions. And then I actually ended up doing a little bit of uh, a module on performance psychology. Okay. As well. So yeah. Um, and I think at that during that point, I kind of realized um, how much I dislike playing in modern orchestras. Hmm. So like I was working professionally, I had couple like quite a few really bad experiences. Okay. Um, just in terms of the kind of the dynamic of it, but also with discrimination as well. Just because sure. like I'm so young and also um, being you know Asian or just not being white in a sense, um, just mm-hmm. an outsider that kind of didn't help. Sure. And I think I also like felt the need to kind of prove myself as well. So you know I think like just various factors that just kind of turned quite toxic in the end mm. and during that time i've kind of like decided to um kind of explore the natural horn but there wasn't anyone teaching so i, I wasn't actually thinking about doing it full-time until annika came to do a master class okay yeah and then um that's when i decided you're really cool i want to be <laughs> like you so um yeah so i i moved to cardiff to study with her Oh my goodness. And so uh, I had two questions. So I wanted to step back a second. And yep. I think most people will know who Don Green is through the, you know, the audition success books and that sort of thing. What were those lessons like? And what, what about your work with him helped you deal with this performance anxiety that was that was causing so many, so many issues? I mean, my, my memory is not that good, so I can't really remember it. But so I think basically the lessons were just kind of going through um, the centering technique. Okay. Um, and actually, um, I mean, most of it's quite self-explanatory in his book. Right. And I always find that it's really helpful kind of like sometimes going back to his book because it kind of just remem- like reminded me of what I needed to do. Absolutely. But um, I think it helped having him there to be able to answer specific questions and also um, give give you kind of more precise kind of scenarios that you can kind of work through. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until a year later, um, after working with him, that's when I kind of really feel comfortable um, actually doing it performing-wise in music. Okay. And so uh, if you don't mind me asking, if you feel comfortable talking about it, what... Well, so the performance anxiety, did you did you find yourself taking shallow breaths or just not able to focus or shaking or, I mean, it manifests differently for, you know, lots of different people. I, I think it was, it was almost this like, kind of impending like feeling of like doom. Okay. In, in the sense that, because I think part of me didn't think I deserved um, the diploma that I felt that I had to kind of, you know, be perfect to prove that I actually, you know, deserve it. I see. Um, so I kind of built up this unrealistic expectation, mm-hmm. and then as soon as I, you know, made a mistake, I kind of, kind of dwell on that mistake, mm-hmm. and then you know it's kind of like a trickle down effect. It kind of gets worse, and I then, see. and I think you know, and and yeah, it, it got to the point where I just uh, the pressure became a little bit too much, and I just I would just break down. I see. 
Yeah, no, and I, I think that's an experience that I think many, many of our listeners will be <laughs> familiar with. I think we've all we've all encountered that in varying degrees over over time. Um, and then the second question I had was, so you you finished your your degree in Australia and then went to uh, Cardiff, you said, to study with yep. Annika. And, and so was that that was a proper degree program, like a master's in? Yeah. So um, yeah. So I I I flew over to Cardiff. I, I actually never been to the city because I didn't audition in person. Okay. Um, and I didn't actually look up what the city was like on Google or anything like that. <laughs> um, so I, I had no idea, you know, what it was going to be like. Um, yeah, and then I did a master's degree, um, a two-year master's degree with Annika. In in natural horn or historical performance? Yeah, so I, I think it was like master of music bracket historical performance, but it was mostly focused on natural horn um, at the okay. start. But then obviously um, a lot of the work is actually on baroque horn. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I started actually, you know, doing a little bit more baroque horn, and I'll say actually, quite a bit of my income is actually on baroque horn now. I see. Okay, so uh, and uh, for those that don't know, Annika Scott has got a, a fan- fantastic book on. Yeah. You know, I think it's part of a, a series. I don't think she's written the second one yet, if I remember correctly. There's it, part of it's, like it's got volume one on it, so I think right, right, um, but. Actually, yeah, I got a book right there, but I think yeah, it goes into uh, more details about natural horn playing in the second volume, and I think she's going to touch on like early valve instruments and baroque horn as well. I see. So, what were the lessons with her like? And you know, for me, I, I studied with Douglas Hill, and he had written oh, yeah. a book at the time. And you know, it was interesting. You know, you take lessons with somebody, and you meet them in person, and and work with them. But then you also have this book that they've written, and it was interesting. Like, you know, I could read the book and kind of hear his voice in my head. Like, oh yeah, that's that's exactly the way he would have said that in a lesson. And so, it, was it similar? Her, your lessons with Annika, was it similar to the way she lays things out in the book or were there special kind of extras you got in the face-to-face lessons? I think it's quite different because the book actually came after my study. Okay. Or like it came towards the end of the study and I've seen like bits of it beforehand. Right. But, um, so I love the information. I think it's a little bit more general um, uh-huh. in the book, whereas I got very specific um, ideas. Um, and I think I also had a quite different experience studying with Annika as well because... I believe I might have been her first um, first study natural horn student. Okay. Um, and I think she kind of pushed me quite hard because like she she knew that I was kind of capable of being a lot better, mm. um, and that I wouldn't settle on being mediocre. And I think that was actually quite important because um, I I think Annika is a really encouraging person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, certainly this side of her being actually like, having expectations and demanding um, those expectations to be met. It's not something that I've actually seen like, with other people. And, and it's really nice because I think at the, at the time, like, it was really intense um, studying with her. Mm-hmm. Um, as, and especially because my health was like, declining as well. So there were a lot of factors um, kind of um, being at play. But afterwards, I remember um, actually finishing my study with her and being in London and suddenly just everything like she kind of taught me just clicked. I see. Yeah. And I was just like, I think I was saying to like one of my colleagues, she's like, it's a bit annoying because just like, you know, I could have been like, you know, kind of worked it out and then, you know, showed just like, oh, Annika, I can do this. But like, obviously that didn't happen until I finished studying with her. Yeah, that's, I think it's that way for so many students. But I mean, you know, it's nice to 
I'm sure you you run into her uh, yeah. from time to time, and and it's so nice to to be colleagues with former teachers and to you know chat with them in a non-student teacher kind of way. It's 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 really rewarding. I've found. I think it's one of those things that are quite difficult to explain um, mm -hmm. to a lot of people because, like, obviously there are only so few of us um, specialising in historical instruments. So I, I've worked with both my um, natural horn teachers in UK. So the other one's uh, Roger Montgomery, mm -hmm. who is principal horn of OAE, and obviously I work with OAE as well. Mm -hmm. So it's it's quite a strange that that dynamic in some sense mm -hmm. because it's just like oh, like you know. You've been my teacher for so long, um, but also just like, oh, I'm kind of your colleague. Just like, where do you draw that line? It's such a cool, it's such a cool thing, and there's so few disciplines where that that gets to happen, that dynamic. But so it's it's really interesting. Um, and if you don't mind me, I, I this is of course a French horn podcast, so I, I yeah, imagine our, our listeners would be really interested in some details. If you don't mind sharing some of them, so what what would a, a natural horn lesson be like? Would it be similar to a modern horn lesson where you come in and you've prepared an etude or some solo work and you play it, and then the teacher provides feedback, or are there is there more duet playing going on, or what what was it I like? I think it's a mixture of both because I started working with, especially with Annika, I started working with her. Um, Kind of around the time she kind of starting to get me work okay. so a lot of the time i would be kind of playing as her second i see okay so there, there are kind of solo repertoire as well as studies that you know i was working on mm -hmm. and also the kind of core repertoire so like um be my mass um the brandenburg concerto um and also solo works as well right um but and yeah so like solo works such as the galley um right. which yeah, I, I always joke that it's the only thing I can play now. But um, <laughs> but I think like that that's where it's, it's a little bit different because the duets um are really helpful in the sense that it gives context. Right. Because um, one of the first things I learned is that a lot of people, me included, like you know, we focus so much on what the right hand's doing. Right. Yeah. But it's actually the open notes that are really uh, peculiar mm. in a sense because if you on a natural horn they're a little bit more flexible. Right, right. And also, if you use period mouthpieces, you get a little bit more purchase in terms of um, where you can bend certain things. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually like just making sure the open notes are, you know, perfectly in tune, um, in context as well. I think those are the things that I learned the most, actually. Right. Just right. playing like Beethoven symphonies and stuff like that. And then obviously with the Brandenburg Concerto, just having someone um, with, the, with the experience of actually knowing how to do it. Right, um, for articulations and ornamentation and all of that. Yeah, and I think just phrasing, because um, something that kind of struck me with Annika's playing is um, she, her, her playing is quite unique in the sense that the articulation's um, quite expressive. There's a vocal quality almost, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's quite interesting because I, I was talking to her about it and she, I think she kind of came from that um, choral tradition. Hmm. So she, like, she sees... Um, music as text ah. and tries to emulate that that's really and interesting yeah i would say my articulation wasn't the strongest thing in, of my playing um so I, I i found it actually quite difficult playing with her for a long time because mm. i couldn't quite match the level of expressiveness um it wasn't until lockdown when i actually like, spent a lot of time just practicing right um, right <laughs> yeah. in, interesting isn't it like practicing mm, gets you some places um, it sure does yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, so it wasn't until then, that's when I kind of worked out. And um, I did a recording project actually with both Annika and Roger um, as part of Prince Regent's band, um, 
yeah, so like Prince Regent Band, um, they did um, a bunch of arrangements of like Beethoven chamber works. Oh. So, well, chamber and orchestra. So like, it was like um, the Septet, um, the um, Egmont Overture, okay. um, um, Hoffnung from Fidelio, and all these things. That's And I was playing second to Annika. Um, at last, at last minute's notice, and that's when I—it was the first time I actually felt comfortable playing with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where this was going, but yeah. <laughs> no, that's really interesting. And do you? What kinds of things do you do to keep your playing in shape? Uh, well, I guess my first question is: Do you do much uh, uh, modern horn playing? Um, now I do. Okay. Um, so it's interesting because uh, during lockdown, I made a lot of um videos of just me. That's- Mm-hmm. basically practicing but um i don't know i i felt that you know, suddenly i had all this time that i didn't really feel i had the time to practice beforehand so i just like mm-hmm. i'm going to actually document what i've been working on sure and actually put out um videos and then um so it started off with the galley um caprices and then i mm-hmm. started doing a little bit of like google and like um belowly i think on natural horn um and then i also realized that you know i also need to get much better at early valve instruments because okay. I did, I did an audition for um, a period orchestra in France, and I didn't feel comfortable playing on the early valve instruments. So I started um, just recording um, etudes um, on those early valve instruments. Okay, okay. These would be like uh, pistons and two valves and. Um, mo- mostly actually on a Viennese rotary. V- okay, okay. Yeah, so um, I did the cling on, well, not all the clings, but like, I think. A dozen of them um, on the Viennese rotary. Yeah, those um, those instruments have such an interesting sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, but going back to your question about warming up, I actually quite enjoy um warming up on um a a valve instrument. Okay. Just um mainly because I currently where I live, I can't practice at home. Hmm. So um, and I'm quite. I'm not. I wouldn't say unorganized but like i tend to run late to things so i'm just like i can just put a practice meter on just make you know go through a normal uh, what would you think as a normal modern horn like warm-up sure. routine yeah right and i kind of know everything will be there that's good yeah that's cool yeah and then uh, is is the transition difficult for you at this point going from you know a modern horn and modern modern mouthpiece to the to the natural horn i think i'm kind of used to it now sure like I, I did find it really difficult going back to the modern horn um, when I kind of did my intensive um, training with Annika. Mm. Um, like it kind of took me two weeks to kind of feel comfortable again. Right. But I think because in my professional work now, I kind of jump between um, instruments so much that I'm kind of used to it. Yeah. And I think it also helps that for me, knowing how my body works as well. I see. Because... Like it's 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 interesting because now that I'm doing a PhD, but also I'm teaching natural horn um, ensemble at academy, that um you know, I'm expected to kind of give pearls of wisdom, which exactly. I don't think yeah exactly you know, I, I I don't feel like I'm at the age to do so yet because right. I'm still trying to work things out myself. But um I always I always keep is I mean I'm kind of half joking and half serious about it. But at the at the end of the day, like especially when it comes to the natural horn, it's just breathe in, breathe out. Mm, okay. So, and and on the horn, it's also like breathing, breathe out as well. Like I feel like a lot of people fall into the trap of focusing too much on what the embouchure is doing, or like you know the kind of more dexterity stuff or other aspects. That at the end of the day, if your breathing is good, you know 
your lips should be able to vibrate properly, and then you know a sound will kind of come out at the end. Right. You mentioned taking an audition for an orchestra in in France. Is that does it work the same as modern orchestras? There's an, a a position advertised and an excerpt list and that sort of thing, or it depends. Okay. Um, a lot of orchestras don't. I think some of the some orchestras do. So I am aware that um orchestra of the age of enlightenment mm -hmm. um they do auditions for both the scheme as well as um i think certain positions within the orchestra i see okay. but that being said i don't think um there's been a home position opening like recently or anytime soon mm. but i think a lot of that is based on um it's basically a, f a massive freelance circle with sure. um yeah. with um historical performance so um what i it's interesting because um, some people have asked me about how to get into it. But what right. I did when I first um, moved here was um, Annika basically recommended me to do a bunch of courses. Okay. Um, and then from those courses, um, I don't know, maybe I've done something right. Who knows? Um, but some of them have actually asked me back as a, um, as a player. Sure. Um, and then you kind of meet uh, more people, and then sometimes, like you know, if um, they need a home player here or there, then the, you know my numbers kind of get gets passed around. Right, and it works on the referral system. Yeah, I think so. Um, and because I think there are so few of us as well, mm -hmm. so um, eventually you're kind of known in the circle. Right, and you mentioned OAE Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment. You mentioned Prince Regent's band. What yeah. uh, for for someone who's like me? I'm not super familiar with the the freelance scene in in London. What 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 are the other period instrument groups that that are are hiring? So um, I don't know whether they're hiring or not, but um, these are the ones that I'm aware are that are currently active. Mm -hmm. um, so Academy of, of Ancient Music. Mm -hmm. um, Orchestra of, Age, of the Age of Enlightenment. Um, you also got all of um, Sir John Elliot Gardner's um, orchestra, so English Baroque soloists, as well as um, Orchestra Revolutionaire at Romantique. Mm -hmm. um, don't know if I pronounced that right or not, but oh well, you get the idea. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. and, and then there's also English Concert, um, Hanover Band. Uh, I think I might have, like, you, you've got like, kind of more chamber stuff like um, La Serenissima. Um, and different groups like that. But I think essentially what you see is that it's the same people playing <laughs> in those um, different bands. A community of, yeah, players, yeah. yeah. No, that's That's got to be one of the most robust period instrument scenes in, in anywhere. I mean, like... I, I think it's quite interesting because in the UK, there's very much this attitude of um, practicality coming first. Mm. So especially with horn playing, it's actually not that historical. <laughs> like most people use modern mouthpieces. Um, the instruments are made by John Webb. They're great, but they uh -huh. don't feel anything like um, a historical instrument. Mm -hmm. um, whereas you get some groups, especially in France, that are a little bit more um, authentic, authentic, so to speak. Um, right. But then you also got groups like um, Orchestra de Champs-Élysées um, and um, Le Siècle that are kind of after more of a modern aesthetic. I and see. they do much later repertoire as well. Okay, interesting. Um, and then there's also a scene in the Netherlands, which is, I think, probably um, even more robust than um, oh. UK. Okay, interesting. And then Germany and Austria, they've got their own little thing going on, which is like really advanced, but I, I don't know that much about it. <laughs> I see. Yeah, and, and do, you, do you own all of your horns, or are you able to, to – is there a place where you can – 
you know, if you got to have a certain kind of instrument for a certain gig or something, uh, do, you, do you just work with other people that you know, or how, where do you get your hands on? You mentioned John Webb, but uh, yeah. is there, are there other places? So um, I, I feel like a lot of people kind of know about this now because it's a lot harder, but eBay used to be really good. <laughs> Um, I think a couple of people have kind of clocked onto it now, so um, I, I, I don't look anymore. But um, auction houses as well. Um, yeah, so like these places are um, great of finding um, of finding instruments. I um, when I first started, Annika kind of lent a lot of her instruments to me. Okay. Um, but so for example, my the natural horn. I've got two natural horns. Um, I've got an original quatuor which um, I managed to find in Australia. Okay. Um, of all places, uh, which I, I absolutely love that instrument. Um, I'm I'm a little bit scared about using it too much now, just because the metal's kind of thinning out. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's still life in it, luckily. But yeah, I'm trying to be careful because I love that instrument. Um, and this is why I got the John Webb copy, uh, which I use for work. Right. Right. Mostly. Um, my Baroque one's made by um Rick um Serafinov, actually. Yeah. 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 Um, lovely instrument. Um, I I love it a lot. Um, and then. Um, I've kind of like gradually picked up um, different kind of piston um, and rotary instruments along the way. Some on eBay. Um, I've got 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 an ascending home recently in an auction house. But also, um, we, we, I think we're starting to see um, dealers like Stefan Blanc um, in the Netherlands and also with James Hampson in the US, um, where a lot of instruments are you know are easily available to be purchased. Yeah, I saw James has Lowell Greer's collection. He's selling it. That's 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 got to be one of the most for an individual collection. That's got to be one of the biggest out there. Her, his and probably Herman Bauman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, the the Bauman collections, um, yeah, is massive. And I know Stefan did a lot of that, um, mm -hmm. for um Herman Bauman as well. And yeah, I I saw a little bit of the Lowell Greer one. Um, yeah, there, there are some really um interesting things there. Yeah, yeah, and for you know. I, I don't want to. Sp I'm not in that scene very much in the United States, so I can't speak too terribly knowledgeably about it. But I mean, Lowell, Lowell Greer is one of our big. You know, he's he's was one of the guys in terms of period instrument performance in the United States. I mean, there there are groups active. I think probably in Boston and New York and things. But yeah. um, for for me, when I was coming up, yeah, I did a few things on natural horn. Uh, the the University of Wisconsin had a very nice set of Serafinov uh, of natural horns and i yep. i got to mess around on the baroque one and uh there was a classical one uh and so i i didn't do terribly much with it but i from the experience that i had with it i can uh you know, i would love to get back into it and i guess that was i'm leading me back to my my next question is for someone who has like myself very minimal experience with natural horn or someone who has no experience with natural horn but that wants to get into it what advice would you have for them in terms of you know how to even start where to get you know where to get an instrument what kinds of things you should be practicing to get some facility i mean um what i'm going to say is that um annika's book is um really good for that mm -hmm. i'm not even sponsored by her so I, <laughs> you know i don't even need to say this but honestly it's it's really comprehensive in terms of actually um setting up um people who are interested or like beginners who actually you know like not not beginner horn players but like you know um beginners to the natural horn or right. how to actually get started so i feel like you know some of the stuff i'm going to say is going to be like taken verbatim from her book but okay. i think um you know i'm going to assume that you know you have got a modern double horn 
Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, realistically, when you take all the slides, well, most of the slides out, you kind of get a single kind of like F horn anyway, mm -hmm. like as in like an F, like a natural horn crooked in F. Sure. Um, and I think um, just be curious, really, mm -hmm. because um, this is one of the things that I've found out, especially teaching now, just like my, my hand is going to be different to yours. Um, right. Just right hand alone, um, let alone how you play the horn. Right. And if it sounds right and it feels right, then it is right in a sense. I don't like. I feel like this is the kind of difference between playing the modern horn and the natural horn. Natural natural horn. There's you're kind of occupying the gray area. Mm. So a lot of the times, it it's noticeable. Um, to hear um, kind of the progression of a natural horn player when you ask them to play a what's it a second space a mm -hmm. because it's just like it's a half stop but what does half stop mean right. and then, so and then the intonation gets like you know a little bit kind of questionable and then exactly. you see all these yeah. things of people you can literally hear um people thinking about how to play that note <laughs> and i think um just be curious right, right um and the other thing i'll say is that um it is still a horn so um, a lot of the fundamentals of playing the horn still applies as in, you know, using air to blow through the instrument, making, you know, beautiful sounds using air, sure. basically air on <laughs> everything. Right, right. <laughs> because I, yeah. I think it's easy to get lost because the instrument is much lighter. And, and I've certainly fallen into that trap as well. Just, you know, you focus more about, you know, getting the notes and also like what the hand, right hand's doing or like on the Baroque horn, you know, just like how to, you know, pitch it correctly, all these things that you kind of forget that, you know, when you blow through the instrument properly, kind of a lot of things solve itself. Right, right. Uh, another another kind of esoteric question. Do you do you support the use of the nodal vents, the uh, the things that, you know, the holes drilled in yep. the, the brook horn? I mean, um, this, this, this is the thing that I think is a big philosophical question. Like for me, um, I I don't consider myself as a historical performer. I like it's it's inter it's it's kind of like an interesting dichotomy because like, obviously I'm working in that field and I'm using those instruments. But for me, I'm actually more interested in the instruments themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to acknowledge that as historical performers, whatever we do is kind of historical fiction. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And certainly we see trends that. Because I, I generally don't think how we play, even on period instruments, is how they used to play in terms of the aesthetics. Right. right. Um, and certainly, I, I know that with my playing, I've got a much more vocal quality to my playing that um, some don't approve of. Um, some find it quite strange. Um, but um, yeah, so it, it, it feels a little bit out of place. But I think certainly um, the vocal quality was a much bigger part, especially in the Belt Epoch era, we're looking at like kind of mid 19th century mm -hmm. and we certainly don't really hear that anymore in historical recordings mm -hmm. but i think that is okay because at the end of the day we are 21st century musicians trying to you know highlight a difference so to speak right i don't think right. we're trying to be authentic so to speak but we're just trying to say there's another way of approaching music there's another way of hearing music and there's another way of experiencing music so yeah. back to the nodal question i mean at the end of the day, um, that's the convention in UK. Um, I 
I like making money doing what I do. So I'm not going to, you know, yeah. shot, shoot myself in the foot and just like, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to purposefully play Elf Toon. Uh, like, what do you think is Elf Toon? But, you know, um, so I think it's a different aesthetic. Um, I, I don't mind it personally. Um, but at the same time, I also acknowledge it's not, you know, historical, so to speak. So that's why Baroque got a detachable bell. Yeah, and it's sort of like, to, to use a modern horn analogy, it's sort of like play on the leg, play off the leg kind of thing. It's like you, you have to go along to get along. And if, if the, 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 you know, if the environment you're playing in and making money in, as you say, is doing things a certain way, it's probably in your best interest to, to figure out how to do it that, that, that way or a similar way rather than just, you know, stick to your guns and do something completely different than <laughs> what everyone I, else I, is doing. I think at the end of the day, you know, you want to have a really, and I think I'm also conscious of the fact that um, his historical performance used to have kind of this stick that, you know, it's the lesser place to go into it. And I very much want to, I mean, it's obviously not true because the natural horn is so much harder. Um, but I, I think I also want to prove that, you know, despite the kind of, um, kind of limitations, so to speak. Um, you know these instruments are capable of incredible things, and unfortunately, um, you know, a way to prove that is actually by kind of playing to what the modern ear is accustomed to. Right, right. And obviously, with intonation and stuff like that, at the end of the day, I much rather to have the security. Um, to do that at this stage of my career, I've. I mean, certainly, I would love to be able to do. You know, be my mouse and stuff like that without any um, venting. You know, mm. later down the track, but I don't think I'm quite there yet, um, technically speaking. Right, and and as you said, I mean the the majority of audiences are going to be conditioned to hear things a certain way with modern ears. So yeah, I mean it's and I think a lot of people, even professional horn players, maybe have this. Uh, connotation of period instruments, as you said, of being somehow limited or not capable. But I mean, Annika's recordings, your recordings, your videos, I mean, that blasts that completely out of the water. It's, you know, the, the stuff Galley was writing for for horn is 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 incredibly virtuosic and the way you play the those those pieces and the way Annika does i mean it's uh it's really inspiring and i'm not a natural horn player of any kind but i just love listening to those recordings because it's it's just great music making oh thanks so much um and i think at the end of the day and i i always emphasize this um in like natural horn ensemble at mm -hmm. academy just like you know it's not my job to train them to be virtuosic natural horn players um, and in fact, it's not even my job to, you know, train them as, you know, kind of professional natural horn players. But mm -hmm. for me, it's just, it's my job to kind of highlight that these things are possible, mm -hmm. what you can kind of learn from them mm -hmm. um, and hopefully be inspired by them um, and how you can actually translate that into your modern horn playing. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, Isaac, I, I was going to sort of think about wrapping up our conversation today. I don't want to take too much of your time, but... Um, I had I had two questions to kind of follow, uh, you know, wrap things up today. Uh, so the okay. first is, so what's what's coming up for you in in the near future, next couple of months? Uh, any big projects that you can share some information about? Any any major you know recordings or anything like that going on? Um, so with my PhD, um, I'm commissioning um, twelve composers to write twelve new um, solo unaccompanied natural horn pieces. That's awesome. Um, and um, yeah, so I've got 11 composers confirmed now, which is really exciting. Um, and it's actually like, 
the reason why I chose 12 is that I used um, Galay's 12 Grand Caprices as a starting point. Mm -hmm. um, and it's quite interesting because I was talking to um, a few American horn players about the Galay. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm aware that they're kind of seen as kind of studies. Mm. But for me, I feel they're very much um, virtuosic um, show pieces for the horn. And I'm pretty sure they were intended that way because right. otherwise he would have labeled them etudes, right. which he does for everything else. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm using that as a starting point to commission 12 new pieces. And I'm working with composers who don't usually write for the horn or certainly are not really known outside of the horn circle, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So um, that's that's been um, really fascinating because I feel like I'm kind of learning new things about myself and also about the instrument as well because there are a lot of nuances that I never kind of truly noticed until I actually had to explain to someone. I see. Okay. And it's like, it's really difficult. Um, I can understand why people say the horn's really difficult now. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I've got a few more premieres coming up, but also about during the summer period, I'll be actually recording um, the first half of those, and they'll go along with um, the original Gallic Caprices. And I think hopefully by 2024, um, a double disc will be released with um, all of the new com commissions. Oh, that's really exciting. And you're a composer yourself. I saw something online. You you <laughs> recently composed something for Natural Horn. Yes, um, I did. I mean, I I started my undergrad as a composer in mind, but I think I've kind of realized that, you know, I, I see composition or, or I see composing um, as a, a kind of similar way of like someone writing a diary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, if you write a diary, you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a a writer um, and I feel like I kind of belong in that um, same boat and I've always been kind of really hesitant about sharing my own kind of you know thoughts and you know my own dreams mm -hmm. um, but um, luckily enough um, someone decided to you know just like um, publish my music and I'm just like why not so yeah it's, it's interesting because um, in a way working with the new composers have kind of also opened up new possibilities and I can mm -hmm. certainly see the way I'm actually composing is also shifting as well. Well, and it's, uh, I imagine it's similar to the thing of with modern horn where, okay, you might play music by Strauss or Mahler or Beethoven, but then you play something by a modern composer, a living composer. And there's sometimes such a different approach to the instrument, you know, cause you've got all of this historic repertoire that you can learn on the natural horn, but then there are, there's new pieces being written you know, because yep. of you and because of others for the natural horn. And that might be entirely different from the way a composer like Mozart or Beethoven or Gallet wrote for the natural horn. I imagine that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I think I like, I think this is one of the reasons why I took on the commissioning project is that I, I love the horn. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not as much as some people in the IHS. <laughs> um, I, I went to the um, International Horn Symposium in Ghent um, like a couple of years ago and uh -huh. I remember at the end of the week I just messaged Anika just like I'm not sure whether I'm cut out for this because I, I don't have that level of enthusiasm for the horn it's pretty as, in, it's pretty intense yeah yeah as a lot of the members just like I, I just say it, you know, it's, it's my voice um, I love the instrument but you know when it comes to gear and all these things just like I, I, I know what I'm using um, but I don't really know the details it's just like it sounds good yep that'll do kind of thing <laughs> Um, yeah, well, but, you're not, yeah, you're not so, alone. I think there's there's a, one of the interesting things about the IHS is there's, ideally, there's a space for everyone, you know, yeah. from 
professional players, teachers, uh, the variety of amateurs, you know, could be retired doctors or business people. And then all, the, you know, the, all of the stuff in between students at all levels. And yeah, I, I think those, those, those symposia can tend to be a little bit equipment dominated depending on, <laughs> depending on who's there. Cause it is a lot about the exhibits and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've always found, at least the the ones that I've been to the the camaraderie and the community is why I'm there. Yeah, it's nice to see all the different horns and stuff, and but uh, you know I, I I always enjoy meeting new people, and then I enjoy seeing friends from all over that I haven't gotten to see since the last you know symposium I went to. Yeah, I, I think I think that's certainly um, something that I've really enjoyed as well. And actually, because I, with Ghent there was also the I think historical horn um, conference. Or mm -hmm. I can't remember what it was called, but it was just really interesting actually, like hearing other people's research as well. But um, so I think something that really struck me was there was a lot of home music being played. Sure, yeah. And I, I, I'm someone who don't necessarily um, associate myself with the repertoire as much. Mm. I, I love like so, for example, like Strauss one. If I see that on an audition, I just like, look, I'm not going to apply because <laughs> I, I, I can play it. Like, don't get me wrong, but I. I don't know how to make it sound interesting or like sound like me. Uh -huh. I'm just like they're just a bunch of notes I can play well, kind of thing. But yeah, I I, I can't I can't associate myself with Strauss one. Like Strauss two is easier for me, strangely enough. Oh, that's interesting. Strauss one. Um. So, um, but one of the things that I found with the commissioning is that um, a lot of the composers actually wanted to create something that doesn't sound like the natural horn. Right. Right. And in fact, one of the pieces I commissioned, um, is um from a Chinese composer based in the UK. Um, and she used Tibetan horn note um, as an inspiration and used actually Tibetan notation. Um, wow. And the piece is, in, uh, I generally love that piece so much. It's on graphic notation. Um, it's, it's one of those pieces that you know you're listening to a horn, but mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like a horn as we know it. It doesn't sound like a kind of a Western idea of a horn. It sounds right. something that's much more kind of ethnic so to speak sure and i think that's something that i personally find um really interesting just how other composers see the instrument mm -hmm. i heard uh, years ago and it's the only time i've ever heard the piece a piece by lou harrison for i think it was uh it might have been natural horn and gamelon Oh, it was really, really interesting. And it was, you know, it was at a workshop somewhere and it was like, oh, I'll probably never hear this piece again because just <laughs> what it took to get that, to, you have to have a, a functioning gamelan ensemble yep. and then you have to have somebody, you know, to play it on, on, on the horn. So that was kind of a neat experience. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing the, seeing your project. Oh, um, and, and I'm really looking forward to sharing it with everyone, actually. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Isaac. Is there anything else you'd like to chat about? I've, you know, I feel like we could talk for a long, long time, but yeah. uh, this is, this has been amazing. And, and thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much for having me.